Good morning, everybody. So, like Leah said, uh, we're continuing in our series on the parables from the Gospel of Luke today. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be our last one. Uh, we haven't covered every single parable in Luke. I didn't think we would actually do that. Um, but I think this is a really fitting one to end on. And hopefully you'll see why as we uh, make our way through it. So if you have a Bible, uh, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. This is what's sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow. Here we go. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather, and to gather around the scriptures, to gather around your table, to seek you, uh, to enjoy community and fellowship with each other. Lord, we invite you right now to help us to attend to these words, give us insight into them, open our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there is a big difference between this parable and the last four we've looked at. You might remember that last week we talked about how the last four parables have all been directed towards the Pharisees, right? the religious leaders, and they were all calls for the religious leaders to repent, to change their mind, change their behavior. But this one is directed specifically toward the disciples, right? And fortunately, we're told exactly why Jesus told the parable. It's to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So you might ask, well, how does the parable do that? It's a story about a judge and a widow, right? A story about a person who has power and a person who has very little power. In those days, uh, widows, they really had a hard time. They had lost their means of support. Uh, we know that sometimes uh, widows' extended families would sell them into slavery in order to pay off the family debt. So widows had it rough. Judges, on the other hand, they were people of power. Right, And uh, in, in Jesus' story, the judge is a real jerk. I would say he is comically villainous. Right? 
uh, it says he neither fears God nor cares what people think. Which is basically like saying, you know the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor? He's not interested in either of those. Right? And he's so comically villainous that he, even in, he describes himself that way. Right? Even though I don't care about God or what people think. Right? He's over the top awful. Great judge. Right? So Jesus says the widow goes to that villainous judge and keeps saying, grant me justice. Make things right. Grant me justice. Grant me justice. Grant me justice. And eventually, the judge can't take it anymore. And she wears him down. And the judge says, you know, even though I'm a horrible person and I have no conscience at all and I don't care about this lady, I'm getting tired of her. She's annoying. So I'm going to give her what she's asking for. So why is that supposed to encourage us? Why is this a reason to pray and, and to never give up? And the reason is because surely God is a lot better than that judge. That's the whole message of the parable. What Jesus is doing here is something similar to what he does earlier in Luke. He's talking to a group of men and he says, If you fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the logic here is, obviously, you should be assuming that God is better than any earthly father. And earthly fathers, who are messed up, still know the difference between a good gift for their kid and a bad, kid, a bad gift, right? So clearly, if you ask God, he's going to give you good gifts. Same kind of logic in this parable. Even an unjust, horrible judge, if pestered long enough, will give justice in the parable, right? So clearly God, who is a heavenly judge, is going to be way better than that judge. And that should encourage you. So we're supposed to be encouraged by this parable. But I think we need to be careful how we understand it. Because if we understand it in the wrong way, we may find ourselves struggling to reconcile it with reality. Because if we understand it the wrong way, we might think what Jesus is saying is, if you just persist in asking for something good enough times, then you will get it. And sometimes we have experiences that don't align with that. I remember several years ago, a family that I knew had a terrible accident at home. Their, their young daughter had a terrible accident. She was brought to the hospital in critical condition. And the doctor said, we don't think there's any hope. And they said, well, we don't want to give up hope yet. And so they started praying. They called on friends and family to pray. Their church had round-the-clock prayer meetings, people praying for, for her to be healed. Um, I did not know this family very well, but I knew of them. And uh, I felt compelled to pray with a consistency and a fervency beyond what I normally do. Um, I don't consider praying to be my spiritual gift. Um, but I remember that time, I really felt compelled 
pray, pray. But she didn't recover. So what went wrong? So many of us praying persistently. I mean, when I visualize all those prayers, it's like that widow going to the door. Actually, it's like a whole mob going to the door, banging on it, banging on it, 24-7, yelling, screaming for a whole week. Shouldn't God, who is more loving and good than any earthly parent, more just and wise than any earthly judge, shouldn't he have granted the request? Given that things like that happen in this world, how can this parable still be true? Or think about the slaves that lived in America for 244 years. You know, so many of them were praying Christians. Did you know that? And surely they prayed for justice and freedom. And we could point to 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation, as proof that those prayers were answered. And I think we should think of it that way. But you know, over those 244 years, there were a lot of people who were born into slavery and died in slavery. So is this parable true for them? What about the Christians throughout history who have been severely persecuted and even killed for their faith? You know, think about it. The tradition tells us that the disciples who were given this parable were mostly killed for their faith. They were martyred. So is the parable true for them? Well, it probably won't surprise you to hear me say that I believe the answer is yes. The parable is true for the disciples. The parable is true for those praying slaves. The parable is true for the parents of that little girl. But how? How is it true? There is a clue at the end of the passage. Let's look again at verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We need to pay special attention to that last line. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, just in case you don't know, uh, the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for referring to himself. And uh, that's a sermon in itself to describe what Son of Man means, why Jesus used that term. But when you hear it, what I want you to think is the representative of humanity, the Son of Man. And what Jesus is saying is, when I return, when I come back the second time, will I find faith on earth? When I return, will I find faithful people? And so I want us to see is that the justice that Jesus is talking about, it happens when he returns. So, now you might ask, okay, well, Ryan, hold on a second. Jesus said, I tell you, you will see that they get justice, and quickly. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know anyone who thinks that 2,000 years is quick, and we're still counting, right? 
So somebody might say, how do you, what, how do you deal with that? That's a tough question, I will admit. But here's one way to think about it. In the grand scheme of history, a couple thousand years isn't actually a real long time. And you know, I think what Jesus is hinting at is one day, from the perspective of eternity in heaven, we will be able to honestly say, justice came quickly. Might not feel like it now, but from God's perspective, from the heavenly perspective that we one day will share, it will feel quick. But whatever the case, it is clear that Jesus connects the arrival of justice that he's talking about with his return, with his second coming. So, okay, this parable is not a promise that if we just pray enough, you know, for that thing that we want, that eventually we'll get it if we wear God down. It's not a promise that everything is going to be just as it should be right here and right now. That's not what it is, but it is a promise that if we keep trusting Jesus, in the long run, we will not be disappointed. I'll say that again. It is a promise that if we keep trusting in Jesus, in the long run, we will not be disappointed. You know, our time on earth, it might be filled with injustice and illness and hardship and suffering. But when the Son of Man returns, justice will be done. That is what Jesus is saying. That is why he's saying we should never give up, why we should never stop praying, why we should never stop doing what's right. Because that day will, will one day come. So I think, ironically, the times when it seems like this parable might not be true are actually the times when we need it the most. That's what it's for. It's for those times. Like when we pray for a child to be healed, and they don't recover, or when the court system fails us, or when the church is hopelessly dysfunctional. Whenever it feels like the world is hopelessly broken, beyond hope, unfair, wrong, okay, that is when Jesus wants us to remember there is a God who's better than any earthly judge, and one day he will set things right. Here's a simple truth that we should recognize, and um, this is just a great insight. You'll really think I'm amazing that I thought of this. Um, Jesus told this parable to encourage the disciples not to give up, which means he expected them to want to give up. And the Son of Man has not returned yet. So I would say that it's fair to say that he expects that we all will be tempted to give up. So if you've ever felt tempted to give up on faith, take some comfort in knowing that Jesus expected that. Now, when Jesus warns us about giving up. What, you know, what might we be tempted to give up? What's he actually talking about there? So I have four suggestions of the kind of thing that Jesus has in mind. Number one, we might be tempted to give up on the promise that he will eventually return. He said he would. 
but it's been a long time, right? And we might be tempted to think, well, maybe history isn't really leading toward anything. Maybe there isn't ever really going to be justice. Maybe things aren't ever going to be set right. You know, maybe like what Macbeth said, uh, history is like a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. But the parable says, no, don't start to think that way. Don't go in that direction. The Son of Man will return. If even that terrible judge eventually gave justice, you can be sure when the time is right, Jesus will bring justice. Jesus will make things right. Here's another possibility of what we might be tempted to give up on. We might be tempted to give up on practicing his teaching. A few weeks ago, Evan Burgess talked about the Sermon on the Mount. If you really try to put the Sermon on the Mount into practice, that is hard. Right? To consistently turn from anger, to consistently love your enemies, consistently forgive, consistently be generous, consistently not worry. I mean, that's really hard to do that especially when the world is so broken and unjust. You know, I remember reading something by a, a Christian not too long ago who said something to the effect of, Christians should not be civil in politics because there's too much at stake. That's somebody who's giving up on practicing Jesus' teaching, right? basically saying, we can't follow Jesus' teaching because we have to contend for Jesus. What? And Jesus says, no, don't think like that. Don't give up. Persist. Number three, we can be tempted to give up on the Great Commission. Probably familiar with the Great Commission. After Jesus resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, he left his disciples with a charge. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What are churches for? What's the point? That's the point. That, that's what we're supposed to do. Make disciples, which means make other followers of Jesus, Baptize people, which means invite them into God's family, right? Practice that sacrament of, of baptism. And teach them everything I commanded you. Proclaim and explain what Jesus said. That's what the church is for. That's what we're supposed to do, right? And that commission ended with a promise. Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Has the end of the age come yet? Same thing as when the Son of Man returns. That's what that's talking about. No, the end of the age has not come yet. Which means the promise still applies. I am with you always. Jesus is with us. With us to do what? To make disciples. To baptize. To teach what he commanded. He is, 
He is more than willing to work in and through us to do those things. Do we believe that? Or have we given up on that? Have we started to think, well, nobody's really interested in Jesus? Have we started to think that there's no power in the gospel to transform hearts and minds? Have we started to think that there's no power in opening up the scriptures together? No power in remembering Jesus in the way that he commanded us to remember him at the Lord's table? Even though Jesus said, I'm with you always to help make this happen. You know, if we've drifted toward thinking that way, this morning we should hear Jesus reminding us, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. I'm with you. Now, I want to be clear, okay, that's not to say that Jesus doesn't want us to try new and, and different ways of making disciples. You know, if you started to feel cynical about the ways that the church typically tries to do this, that's okay. But don't get cynical about the whole endeavor. Never get cynical about the whole, the whole mission. Because to get cynical about the mission is to get cynical about Jesus himself. Because he said, this is what I'm charging you to do, and I'm going to be with you. I can think of uh, one more thing that Jesus probably had in mind when he told this parable and when he thought about the disciples giving up. We can be tempted to give up believing that God is actually good. Notice, Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? See, right there, it's assumed that as we cry out to God, justice is going to be deferred. Now, yes, okay, in this life, there will be times where we pray and, and we experience justice. And we should hope for that and work for that and long for that, yes. But Jesus is also clear that full justice doesn't arrive until he returns, until the second coming. So there are going to be times where we're crying out day and night, and, and justice is deferred. It's postponed. And in that in-between time that we live in, we might start to think, is God really there? Is God really good at all? I see all the brokenness of the world. I see the sin of the world. I see the cruelty. I see the unfairness. How can God be good? And Jesus is saying, trust that there is a God who is better than earthly, any earthly judge and persist, persist, persist. He knows it's hard. He knows we're going to be tempted to, be give, up, to give up. But he says, keep persisting. Trust God is really good. This parable actually reminds me of one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. It is this super weird, enigmatic story uh, from the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. It's about a guy named Jacob. Jacob's got a lot going on in his life. He's very stressed. And on what might be the most stressed night of his life, it's at night. He is on the bank of a river. And it says that a man, and I'm putting man in quotation marks because 
very vague what this actually is. But a man comes and wrestles with him until daybreak on the bank of the river. And as daybreak comes, Jacob tells the man, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then the man declares that Jacob is going to have a new name. Now Jacob is going to be called Israel, which means struggles with God. Now you might know that Israel didn't just end up being Jacob's name. Israel ended up being the name of the entire nation that came through Jacob's descendants, the nation of Israel. And then through the nation of Israel came Jesus. And then through Jesus came the church. And so there is a sense in which all followers of Jesus today are Israel. Uh, we are not necessarily ethnically Israel or nationally Israel, but spiritually we are Israel. And what does it mean that we are Israel? It means that we are people who struggle with God. Now you might say, what does it mean to be people who struggle with God? Seems like an odd way to describe our relationship with him, right? Well, think of it this way. We are supposed to be people who hold on to God until the blessing comes. Even when it's hard, even when the night is long and dark, even when we're confused and tired, we're supposed to hold on. Hold on until the blessing comes. You know, if you feel like your relationship with God is a struggle, that you're filled with doubts and questions, that you're wrestling, that's okay. That's all right. But my advice is don't tap out of that wrestling match. Hold on until the blessing comes. When you feel like you don't understand God, tell him. Ask him your questions. Bring your doubts to him. Seek the truth. Don't tap out. Like that persistent widow, keep knocking on God's door. There's one other thing that I want us to notice. Look at how important prayer is to Jesus. He tells this parable so that we will pray and not give up. He wants his followers to be people who pray. All the way up until his return. One of the signs that we might have given up in our relationship with God and in those things that I just listed is that we stop praying. You know, maybe we still talk about God. Maybe we still talk about church and church problems and that sort of thing. But we've stopped actually maintaining a relationship with God. We've stopped talking to him. We've stopped listening to him. And if that's happened to us, we need to hear how important prayer is to Jesus here. How important he thinks it is for us. We cannot claim to follow Jesus and think that prayer is just irrelevant. That it's not necessary. Now you might object. You might say, Ryan, I don't get prayer. I mean, come on. You just told a story a little while ago about hundreds of people who were all praying for something and then it didn't happen. And it was a good thing that they were asking for. 
So why should we pray? Well, first, let me be clear about something. Yes, sometimes hundreds of people pray for what seems like a good thing, and it doesn't happen. But I also believe it is true that sometimes things only happen because we pray. And that if we did not pray, those things would not have happened. There's a mystery to all this. Um, but scripture is clear. Our prayers do make a difference. But it is true that there's no guarantee that we're going to get uh, the specific requests that we pray for unless they're the things that God has already promised us in the long run. And that might be discouraging for you to pray. But you have to hear Jesus saying, even so, it is so important. It is a necessary part of not giving up to stay in relationship with God. And I want us to recognize, okay, Jesus is not naive. Like, he knows that prayer is not like a vending machine where you just put in your prayer quarter and then you get your candy bar. He is fully aware of that, right? He knows that prayer is way more complicated than that, way more mysterious than that. Think about this. The night that Jesus was arrested to be crucified, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was overwhelmed with emotion, and he prayed, Father, if there is a way, take this suffering from me. But if not, may your will be done. You know, like any sane human being, Jesus did not want to be crucified. He didn't want to go through that, that agony. So he prayed. He prayed that he might be spared from it. And he was not. There was no other way. Sometimes we pray for a trial to be taken away. We pray for a suffering to be taken away. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's not. And if Jesus is the one that we follow, if he's our example, we should not be surprised that sometimes that's what happens. But like Jesus, we should keep praying. Like that widow, we should keep knocking on the door. Like Jacob, we should keep wrestling with God. And we should keep praying through our own gardens of Gethsemane. Because the example that we follow does not end with suffering and agony and death, right? It ends with resurrection. So don't give up. Hold on. Trust that God is good. Lord, we thank you for these words of encouragement. And I pray that you would make them real to us. Father, fill us with the kind of faith that we need. The faith to trust that you are good, you are with us, that you will do what's right. And as we live in this in-between time, may that give us strength to continue following you, seeking you, and doing your will. Lord, empower us to make disciples, to baptize, to teach everything you commanded us. Help us to not lose sight of this great mission that you've put us on. In Jesus' name, amen.